Hello, Microbial Nation, and welcome to the final part of our spooky, monstrous microbe series. I'm Tess. And I'm John. Now on with the show. We're moving from vampires to warts. To warts. No, not vampires, werewolves. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's hard to keep them all straight. Yeah. All right, so our story on warts. So which has warts, deformities, blemishes, the oddities hold a decaying place in our Halloween traditions as societal stigmas are being replaced with acceptable, with acceptance and respect. But the ghoulish glow of wart-filled gourds and the blistering blemishes of porch-adorned pumpkins hold as steady decorations during the cooling months. While not attributed to any particular monster, these ugly and weird misfit veggies are still seen in our October festivities. So our next monstrous microbe you may have actually seen in your yard or in your local park. Have you ever seen a tree with a giant tumor-like deformity? All the time. So this is likely caused by Agrobacterium tumefaciens. So in nature, Agrobacterium tumefaciens causes strange deformities, a tumor-like orb that causes trees and roots of all kinds to grow in all directions. This disease is called crown gall. It begins when a tumefaciens injects a piece of its own DNA into the host and the host incorporates the foreign DNA with its own. The foreign DNA forces the plant to produce these tumor or gall deformities that secrete opines. And you know what opines are? Yeah, they're uh, the food source for these bacteria, right? Yeah, so they're sweet, um, like candies. And so A. tumefaciens just sits there, makes the tree produce its favorite little treat, and it just feasts forever. This is crazy because trees do not have the genetic ability to create these. Yeah, so this actually, um, scientists figured this out and they're like, well, maybe we can use this and manipulate the system for our own benefit. So the microbe occurs naturally in the soil. And so it has to have this life of living freely within the soil and then have this other life, this lazy life, couch potato life, once it gets inside um, the tree, because the tree is then going to provide all the resources to the microbe. And so this become one of scientists' greatest biotechnological tools because its ability to inject DNA straight into the host, it's used in a lot of GMO or genetically modified plants. But scientists don't really want to make plants that just have tumors. It's not super helpful. No, it doesn't look too appetizing either yeah. on, a, on a plate. But what they can do is they can manipulate the microbial mechanisms to genetically modify the plant to benefit humanity, such as scientists are able to remove the genes that cause crown gall and then insert genes more to their liking, such as disease resistant genes. And then when a tumefaciens is placed into the plant, it'll inject its DNA into the new host and the host will incorporate this DNA into its own and then has the potential to become disease resistant. And this has a number of different applications for our agricultural industry. Plants which are resistant to diseases, diseases will require less pesticides or insecticides, making them better for you and the planet. And so that is our story on A. tumefaciens and warts. Next we go to what I think is my favorite. Uh, number micro, 12. Microbe on the list. Number 12, tuberculosis. 
another ghost one. Why is this a ghost? Well, it's what it does to the uh, person infected with it. But I'll describe a little bit more later what it does. So what is tuberculosis? It is an infection caused by the bacteria Mycobacterium tuberculosis that mostly affects the lungs. Here, the bacteria establish residence and can remain dormant for years. Um, this is known as latent TB. Your body will try to fight it off, encapsulating it with immune cells, but it's, it's unsuccessful. And eventually, the infection will become active. Uh, this generally happens when you enter a state of impaired immune system or a compromised immune system. So uh, it'll cause symptoms such as coughing, chest pain, weight loss, fatigue, paleness, amongst others. Uh, it can even um, move to other parts of the body, such as the brain and kidneys. So there are antibiotics that treat this bacteria. You have to take a cocktail of usually three. Um, those that have a non-resistant TB infection uh, have to take these antibiotics for six to nine months. Can we just like stop right there? Six to nine months. Remember the last time you had to take antibiotics like three times a day for two weeks? That was a killer. That's terrible. Yeah. Six to nine months. And that's, oh. that's even being diagnosed. I think those that are proximal to the person being diagnosed have to take it for three to six months, wow. the same cocktail. Those that have resistant tuberculosis have to take it upwards of 30 months. 30 months? That's yeah. like a toddler. Almost three like years. Like you could make a baby and that baby be a toddler by the time you're done your antibiotics. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> That's forever. So this bacteria has a long history with humans. It was first mentioned in on paper in India over 3,000 years ago, and it's been found in skeletal remains over 9,000 years old. So cool. Yeah, I know. That they're able to like take 9,000 year old skeletons be like... <laughs> Don't take your DNA out and oh, you have tuberculosis. And some even speculate it's been around for 3 million years. Uh, between the 1600s and the 1800s, it killed a quarter of all uh, Europe's population. This at the time is called consumption. At that time, you saw the Industrial Revolution where cities were overcrowded, sanitation was poor. And so this allowed for the disease to spread across different social classes, all the social classes. Yeah, because remember, it's airborne, so it can travel everywhere. Mm, good point. I didn't mention that. But oddly enough, it became a symbol of sexual attractiveness. Which is so weird. Yeah. So here's where the ghost part comes in. One of the big symptoms is it causes pale skin. Um, it also causes red cheeks and it causes the person to uh, lose weight and to become thin. That's why it's called consumption. So you might be thinking pale and red cheeks. Have I seen that in a movie somewhere? Well, yeah, they're, when they depict higher classes at, the, at that time period, they generally have makeup like this. It's because at the time, the higher classes uh, thought uh, women look sexy like that. So women pouted their faces to look pale and put on really red blush and really blotching points on their cheeks. Yep. And then later on, uh, corsets became a big thing. And so that mimicked the thinness. And, and so there is a great romanticism around tuberculosis. Yeah. You saw that in 
all all types of art, poetry, stage, books, whatever. Um, during the 1800s in New England, the, it kind of took a different turn. A dark turn. Yeah, it was thought of as a disease that was caused by vampires, oddly. So because of the blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some became pale. They thought someone was sucking the blood out of them. Yeah. So the thought was that a relative that had died of consumption had come back to life and was feeding off the remaining family members. Because remember, people who are in close proximity with people like that have tuberculosis are likely to get it. But it could be years before they show any symptoms. So it could you could easily see how people could think this was hereditary because back then you were always in close proximity with your family. Right. And so in the, in the 1900s, we had someone that was exhuming some graves in the New England area. And it turns out that <clears throat> these people were thought of as vampires. And so how do you kill vampires? They exhumed the bodies and chopped their heads off. And uh, removed their hearts and burned them. Yeah. There was even a case where the father thought the do- uh, the youngest daughter wasn't the youngest. It was a daughter that died was the vampire. So he dug up the body and he burnt the liver and heart. So he took those ashes and fed it to his son because he thought it would lift this curse he had. Because his son also had consumption. Even though his father did this, his son died of uh, consumption two months later. Wow. Needless to say, that is not the cure. Yeah, antibiotics, that's the cure. In 1882, uh, the famous scientist Robert uh, Koch was the first person to identify that tuberculosis was caused by a bacteria. Um, He did um, develop a treatment that ended up being ineffective called tuberculin, but it wasn't all for naught. Because uh, Dr. Florence Silbert uh, later on was able to purify this um, antigen and make it into a skin test to determine if you've ever been exposed to it. If you've ever had it, it's called a PPD test. And they just shoot some right underneath your skin. And if you've been exposed to TB, it gets really big. And if you haven't, it just fades away within 48 hours. Right. And isn't it something about like... If you have the vaccine, which we don't get in America, you will always test positive for this tuberculin test. Yeah. So, but you will not have TB. So then you have to go get a chest x-ray for them to prove that you don't have tuberculosis. Yeah. They look for things in your lungs that look like little seeds, Mm -hmm. these little granulomas, they call them. And those are uh, signs of uh, latent TB. Or like cobwebs because we're doing spoon. So once it was found out that this was caused by a bacteria, the romanticism quickly faded away. Yeah, because science isn't that sexy. (laughs) And so everyone viewed it as a public threat then. Eventually, antibiotics were discovered to treat it. Um, But like I said, it turned into a cocktail. Uh, It's because tuberculosis, uh, tuberculosis quickly developed a resistance to any single one. So you needed three different ones acting in it at the same time to, to treat it effectively. And today we have a big problem with multi-drug resistant tuberculosis, particularly in Russia. Russia is one of the big areas. 
Um, another big area is in Africa. There's a couple other areas. So it's, be, it's due to um, improper treatment that has caused a huge rise in uh, drug-resistant tuberculosis. This is through improper um, prescription of drugs. People uh, can get feel sick, especially with the newer ones, so they'll just stop taking it uh, so they don't feel bad anymore. And like you said, Russia was a big place. That's because it ran rampant through the, the prisons in Russia. They were very compact. There's a lot of people in one prison cell. And at the time in the prison, they got treatment. But as soon as they're released, they don't have a doctor anymore. They're not gonna get the treatment. So how do we combat this? Well, the US has a very strict policy when it comes to tuberculosis. If you become positive, uh, a health professional has to visually see you take it every day for the six to nine months. And that means someone's coming to your house every single day. There was an interesting case in New York, I believe, where a guy went to court refusing to take the medication, saying that the government could not force him to take the medication. And the judge ruled in his favor. However, the judge said, you cannot uh, endanger anyone else. So he was placed under house arrest until he took the drugs or he died. <laughs> so take your antibiotics. Well, that was pretty interesting. So that is our story of tuberculosis, which actually stems both ghosts and zombies. And vampires. And vampires. So did that thing again when I said zombies and I meant vampires. Yeah. Damn it. It's like those old universal movies, Dracula versus ghosts or yeah. Dracula versus Wolfman or Wolfman versus Frankenstein. Except it's tuberculosis, ghost plus vampires. <laughs> All right, so we have come to number 13 of our macabre masterpiece of monstrous microbes. Now, we have touched upon ghosts. We touched upon vampires. We have touched upon warts. What else have we touched upon? Frankenstein, Dracula. Werewolves. Werewolves, witches. But there is one Halloween character we have yet to talk about. What's that? It'd be some zombies. Some zombies. We all love a good zombie movie. We definitely love zombie movies over here at Microbe Gals. From Shaun of the Dead to Zombieland to 28 Days Later. My favorite video game, Nazi Zombies and Call of Duty. Not the actual Call of Duty game, just the Nazi zombie part. Um, Left for Dead. Zombies are a huge part of our society. And the truth is the idea of an undead brain-eating half-decaying corpse whether limping or charging at you is a fantasy I'm sure you've played out as well. For me, I always like to imagine the Shaun of the Dead's pool scene with Queen blaring in the background. You get some pool sticks and you're just bashing zombies over the head with your best pals. I wish we could play that, but due to copyright, we, would, we can't. <laughs> That's true. But you all know the song. Yeah. At any rate. If, you, if you don't, go stop this podcast. Go listen to it right now. Yeah. And if you do the one with the Witcher, that one's cool too with the don't stop me now. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but watch the Shaun of the Dead one too, because it's amazing and it will change your life. At any rate, zombies may be fun Halloween characters, but to ants, this concept is very real. So we're going to tell you a little story starring Annie the ant. Now, Annie was a compunctious Leonardi ant living in a tropical forest. She was out of the canopy nest picking up leaves like she did every day. It was a beautiful day and her route was lovely over limbs, scenic views, headed out to get her daily quota of leaves like good ants always do. They must bring back to the colony. In return, the colony grants her food and shelter and everything she needs to live. It's a very productive life and a very fulfilling life indeed. Suddenly, Annie spots an odd shape below her. She went to investigate. Is that a dead ant, she thinks? What's that sticking out of his head? Nah, what could, what would that be doing here? And suddenly a tiny puff of spores is released from a little stem growing out of what appears to be the back of the dead ant's head. Interesting, she thinks, and moves along. She walks through the smoky, smoky cloud. Never mind, there's leaves to fetch, food to eat, sleep to have. A few days later, Annie left the colony for the last time, but she didn't know it. Annie started to feel a little strange. Her muscles began to twitch. She started to have strange feelings about not getting leaves, but that's crazy. One must collect leaves to protect the colony, but her will was not strong enough and there was that nagging feeling in her head to stray from her root. And eventually she lost all control. She could see she was not guiding herself, but she, her legs kept going into a different area. And eventually she found herself on the north side of a plant where the humidity hovered around 94 to 95%. And the temps were between 20 to 30 degrees Celsius. And she mindlessly climbed up this about 25 centimeters from the ground, weirdly specific. She felt compelled to find the underside of a leaf and jump down in a death grip. But wait, she didn't want to. Her mandibles bit down even though she was saying no. She wanted to collect leaves, but she was stuck. In comes Cory. I thought she'd never get here. Cory the Cordyceps unilateris thought, sweet. This spot is perfect and I've got plenty of food here to start growing and expanding. Cory had officially taken over the total control of Annie. He consumed the ant from the inside. Over the next few days, this, his hyphae spread throughout Annie's still body. Yeah, baby, I'm feeling a little, a little nice now, he thought. A strange antenna-like growth burst through the back of Annie's head. And just at that moment, another innocent ant, just minding their own business, headed out to get some leaves, saw a strange shape, and emitted a puff. Poof. That's strange. Better get some leaves. This is the story of zombie ants and is caused by a fungal infection, Ophiocordyceps unilaterius. This unique mind-controlling fungus is found mostly in Brazil, but can be found throughout tropical environments. Once the fungal spores find its way to the exoskeleton of the ant, they penetrate the body and proceeds to infiltrate the ant's body, secreting mind-controlling compounds, which eventually leads to host manipulation. The ants are possessed to leave their home and climb up to an elevated leaf where it clings until it dies. Cordyceps unilaterius then emerges from the corpse, usually right behind or through the head. 
after it punctures from the corpse, it is must to protect the cadaver from other microbial scavengers, as many microbes we know cause decaying of leaf um, and other structures. So the cordyceps needs to live this really unique life that is parasitic, which is preying on the living ant, saprophytic, which is preying on the decaying ant, and necrotrophic, which is preying on the dead ant. I would love to see a zombie movie with the giant ants from the 50s. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. It's truly a great zombie story fit for Hollywood. Well, everybody, that includes our macabre masterpiece of monstrous microbes. We hope you enjoyed all 13 of our most monstrous microbes. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit our website at microbigals.com. That's M-I-C-R-O-B-I-G-A-L-S dot com. Or visit us on Twitter at microbigals. Or on Facebook. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you like today's show, consider subscribing and sharing this with a friend. And remember, to feed your mind, mind, feed feed your your guts, guts, make your your microbes microbes love you lots. lots. (laughs) The end. Love you. Bye.